Welcome back to another episode of the Development by David podcast with your host, David McIntosh. I'm so delighted to share this episode with you, but up front, I want to apologize because it's been two weeks since my last upload, and that's because I've been busy in Manchester running a conference alongside Gary Neville. Yes, I got to share my story alongside Gary Neville. Pretty cool, but that meant I was away from my desk and I couldn't upload this this podcast. So apologies for that, but I'm really delighted to share this episode with you. It seems that there's more travel coming up. I'm going to the Burberry British Diversity Awards alongside Stormzy, Alan Carr, the Mayor of London. Wish me luck. That will be in a couple of weeks' time. But for now, here's my episode with Jake Gordon, also known as Everyday Breath. I'm guessing if you are a fan of this podcast, you're into optimizing your life or you're into productivity or self-development. And it's strange, we always look for the new pill or the new fad diet or the new purchase that will improve our life outcomes. But in fact, the most beneficial one is free, and that is our breath. So in this episode, we speak with Jake, or Jake Gordon, a certified breathwork facilitator, about the benefits of breathwork for mental and physical health. Jake shares his experience on how breathwork differs from traditional forms of meditation and how it improved his own life. So what is breathwork and its benefits? Well, Jake defines breathwork and its benefits for mental and physical health, alongside various breathing techniques used in breathwork. And live in the podcast, Jake even walks us through one of his sessions that takes like three minutes that improves your physiological, can't say the word, physiological, physiological? You know what I'm saying. Uh, Improves our state basically instantly live on the podcast by doing what's known as an espresso breath. And he shares how a session can vary depending on the individual's needs and the facilitator's approach. But he emphasizes the importance of setting intentions and creating a safe space for our breathwork session. We also cover why breathing and the way you breathe alters your facial shape, what the sigh and the yawn is, and Jake's personal experience on how breathwork dragged him from his depressive stay in Scotland and reignited a fuel for life in Australia. I love nothing more than these actionable podcasts that you, the listener, can take tangible insights away from. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And this episode is sponsored by Vibe. My good friends Rory and Gordon have sponsored yet another episode of the Development by David podcast. You might see in my Instagram stories that I've been using their product literally every single day for breakfast. So if you're looking for a delicious and convenient way to start the day and feel fueled, look no further than Vibe, the meal replacement brand that's taking literally the world now by storm. With Vibe, you can enjoy all the nutrients your body needs in one easy-to-drink breakfast shake or lunchtime or dinner or dessert. It's made with high-quality ingredients and available in a range of delicious flavors. Vanilla is my favorite, but if you love a plant-based diet, then they also have the chocolate flavor. Vibe is the perfect solution for busy professionals, fitness enthusiasts, and anyone looking for a quick and healthy meal on the go. Whether you're looking to maintain a healthy weight, build muscle, or simply just fuel your body with the nutrients it it needs to function. Vibe has you covered. And with their subscription service, you can have your favorite flavors delivered right to your door on a regular basis. Since you're friends of the podcast, you can use code DMAC for 15% off. Tell the lads, Rory and Gordon, that, that I'm asking for them too. So why wait? Try Vibe today and discover the delicious and convenient way to start your day. Visit vibe.co.uk and remember, use DMAC for 15% off. Thank you, Vibe, for sponsoring this episode. Jake Gordon, welcome to the Development by David podcast. How are you? 
Thank you, David. I'm doing really well, man. How are you? I am really good. I can't believe this is the first time we've met. Probably like, had a conversation. I'm excited. I've, I've been watching, I've been a fan of the show for a while now, so I'm really excited to be here. So I'm really grateful for um, for you to have me on and uh, I'm excited to get into it. And this is your first podcast, right? This is. This is my first podcast. So it feels a bit of a celebrity moment, man, because I've been listening to podcasts and podcasts have been a massive source of inspiration and knowledge for a good few years now. So uh, it feels kind of bizarre to be on one, but I'm really excited to be here. If I were to ask you the bog standard development by David question, who is Jake Gordon today in 2023? How would you describe yourself? Jake Gordon in 2023 is someone who is committed to service of others, to help others, to share knowledge, to share expertise, to share my story and the help and the hope that it can maybe be of service to others because the people before me have shared their stories and shared their wisdom and shared their knowledge um, and have passed it down to me. So I feel a bit of a duty to kind of pass that forward to the next to the next load of people. So Jake Gordon 2023 is someone who is committed to service, growth and learning. How does that manifest itself? I think it manifests in what I'm doing with breathwork at the moment. It manifests in how I interact daily with people. It manifests in how I treat myself and how I treat my time and how what my hobbies are and where I kind of align my energy towards. You come across as this very spiritual, enlightened individual, but I know that's not that's not been the case for all of your life. I, I, I know of your kind of humble beginnings, um, not to use that cliched term, but can we take it back to young Jake Gordon? What was life like in your surroundings like when you were younger? Yeah, man. So young Jake Gordon um, was a big stoner, basically. <laughs> someone uh, I grew up in East End of Glasgow um I grew up in like quite a turbulent environment like in high school and stuff like that there was a lot of fighting a lot of drugs a lot of drinking um and at the time you just kind of accept it for what it, for what it was but it's not when you speak to other people and start to tell your story and you're like oh you started drinking at 14 like wow that's that's a bit mad that's a bit mad you know so yeah, going through going through high school and stuff like that was definitely a, a turbulent time and um, I kind of just wanted to fit in basically with a lot of people. I had a very wandering mind. I would always be daydreaming of adventures and different tales and uh, places far, far away, you know. Um, so I always had a bit of a wandering mind and that wandering mind led on to kind of getting into parties and just like drinking and drugs and just like having like having a kind of party-esque kind of lifestyle really and then until one day that all kind of finally caught up on me and I just had a bit of a kind of breakdown of body and of mind um, and I had to change my situation and I had to kind of hit yeah hit reset um, I would say 
um, and 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 yeah, move away basically. What was that kind of pivotal event that caused you and spurred you to go on and change your life for the better? I think the pivotal event was I was basically working in a job and it was something I, I really enjoyed, but I was just really stressed out, really burned out. And at the time, I had a girlfriend and things were getting kind of serious. He was thinking about moving to Glasgow um, and it felt like my life was just going to take another turn. Like I was stepping more further into into adulthood. And just to rewind a little bit, when I was younger, I had an experience where um, I lived in China for three years. Um, and that was actually like a really pivotal moment for me as well, because that um, kind of opened my mind up to all these different cultures and um, experiences and stuff like that. I was pretty young at the time, but um, it still, when I came back, it still had an ingrained sort of part of me. And I've always been really like interested in Asian culture and um, the way that they are communities and how they treat people. And when everything started to get a bit more serious, when everything started to like level up a little bit, I was like, I just said, like, I have to go. I, I need to leave. I need to see what's outside of this little bubble, you know, because I'd spent so long daydreaming out the window, seeing what was outside of Glasgow, what was outside of Scotland. Um, and I remember it very vividly. I was sitting on the top of Colton Hill in Edinburgh with my girlfriend and she was talking about moving to Glasgow and I just burst into tears basically. And I was just like, look, like I need to go, like I need to leave. Like I, I always struggled with this feeling of like belonging. Like I always struggled with feeling that I belonged um, in my community and where I grew up and stuff. And I always felt that I was like different to everybody. Um, and that feeling really stayed with me for my whole life, really. Um, and I just had to take a chance to try and find somewhere that I belonged or something that I belonged to, because I think that's a fundamental need for every human being, you know. Um, so that was the pivotal moment. And then that kind of set a chain of events through after that. Before we touch on those chain of events, I guess being in China for three years, going somewhere completely inordinate from where you grew up, knowing what could be on the other side and then coming back to the east end of Glasgow, I can imagine you could do like a litmus test and think, if I stay where I am now, I can look around me and see where I end up. I have now been to China and I've experienced all these different cultures and different paths. And it probably gave you a heightened curiosity to go and pave your own way and uh, and take that leap but perhaps if you didn't have those three years uh, being wanderlust and, uh, and seeing what was outside of the parapet then perhaps you may have never had that curiosity to make that change yeah I do think about that a lot actually but even though I was like quite a young child like I was maybe like from like I think it was maybe from like five till about seven I had like friends in America had all these different cultures and and that was definitely a big catalyst of growth and also like my my family and my upbringing, like I saw my mum kind of do a job that she hated for like 20, 25 years and she'd always come back in just really sad and really depressed and I'd see that every day. I grew up with a single mum so I'd see that every day and that, that also really reinforced in me that I have to find something else. I have to, there is more to this than just the same 
repeated cycle of going to work, coming home, making dinner, having a drink, da 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 da. So those those two those two aspects going to China and seeing my mum and what she had to do in order to put food on the table, um, really drove me to find and look for change and look for something outside of my of what I grew up in. You have told me privately that you um, have got ADHD. When did you find out that you that you had that? So I was maybe about like 21 years old and I remember it very vividly. I was just sitting on the, t- the couch one night kind of flicking through the channels and this BBC documentary came on and I think it was a comedian called Rory Bremer. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar. Um, and he was basically doing this documentary to kind of like, he'd always suspected he had ADHD and he always suspected something was different. And he kind of went on this documentary to kind of find out and I remember sitting there and I remember just being feeling like I was being spoken to like directly through the screen in a way that I'd never really experienced. Um, and I was just like, I was just absolutely gobsmacked, basically. I was absolutely gobsmacked. And I kind of spoke to my mom and she was like, oh, I don't think you've got ADHD. You were really, you were, you were never really hyperactive or you were, you were really a great little kid and all that. But the more I kind of digged into it and the more I kind of researched it, the more everything started to make sense. Um, and I kind of went to the doctor and I told her and she was, and I kind of just basically laid it all out in front of her. And she was like, okay, so we sent, sent me away to see like a mental health specialist. And I remember also just walking in and just like verbal diarrhea on this poor <laughs> doctor for like 35 <laughs> minutes. And she goes, Hmm, I think you might have ADHD, <laughs> basically. And it's not really a foolproof way of like diagnosing someone. You basically get this little sheet and it's like a, a list of situations and you rank one to five and whatever score you get, you've got ADHD, basically. Um, but that that was a big moment in, in my sort of development as well because going back to what I'd, I'd said earlier about not feeling like I'd fitted in, I always knew I was different. Like I always knew I was different uh, the way that I thought, the way that I acted. Um, and that just really, just it just made that sense, you know, and it just gave me a slight deep sense of like relief. You know, that like all these, I don't like to call them symptoms, but I like to call them behaviors. All these behaviors that I, I would show that there was a kind of reasoning for that and that I wasn't, um, it wasn't my fault really, because I used to be quite, I'm, I'm learning to not be, but I'm quite hard on myself. And because of all these sort of negative behaviors that connotate with ADHD, I used to beat myself up a lot about them. Um, but I'm on a journey now of trying to, love myself a little bit more and be a bit softer with myself, you know? Jake, I love that. And the reason I asked that question, and I'm so glad that you shared your journey so transparently and authentically, is because I've just been recently diagnosed uh, as having ADHD. And similar to you, you start to excuse and give yourself compassion for all those behaviors or symptoms um, that you've had over the last 20, for me, it was 24 years until I got a diagnosis. Things like losing losing my keys all the time, or turning up late to events, or um, what else am I bad at? Like getting engrossed in tasks, or being totally distracted from tasks uh, so easily. 
Um, and you, I, I don't know about you, but for so many years, I thought I was wrong. I thought I was a bad person. I thought I was not intelligent. I thought I was clumsy. But in retrospect, it was just these behaviors coming out in me. Um, I want to ask you, given that you were also in your 20s when you were diagnosed, it's, it's quite a hard thing to receive because you've lived 20 plus years n- not knowing that you've had it. How did you mm. explain that to yourself? How did you give yourself the compassion to, to, to have that realization? Because I, I can guess it can really alter how you know yourself when you discover mm. so late on. And, and I guess people from a lower socioeconomic background, like the East End of Glasgow, where I'm from, it is typically underdiagnosed in young kids from a lower socioeconomic background because the schools don't test for it. Parents can't pick on the, pick up on the symptoms in the same way. Um, so I'm just curious to, to know how you gave yourself that, that news. Hmm. Um, how did I give myself the news? I think I really relied on YouTube. I relied on researching and sort of listening to other people's stories like the beauty of the internet is there is a lot of like anecdotal like information of people who are sharing their stories around ADHD and that made me feel really like seen and it made me feel really um welcomed and that that like these these sort of behaviors that I just don't have them that other people do have them and through that I started to learn more strategies and tools and techniques and and also sitting in reflection, you know, and sitting in meditation has really helped um, to bring self-compassion to myself um, and around the whole su- subject of ADHD. But it's a, it's a work in progress, man. It's not something, it's not something that can be uh, fixed overnight. I think what I've came to learn is that it's, it's a, a constant working on, you know, it's something that needs to be always have an awareness of if that makes sense besides breath work which i can imagine is a technique that you've used to kind of manage it what mm-hmm. techniques have you used to manage your adhd um breath work is the number one for me but also techniques like journaling that really helps me like um i try and do morning notes so just simply uh allowing my mind just to write whatever comes out onto the paper uh, and that kind of really empties the uh, empties my brain and it it's kind of crystallizes my thought as well so it's like it's not longer this like ethereal thing that's just bouncing around my head like it's actually real and it almost takes the thought out of my head and onto the paper and um, movement and exercise has been a huge one uh it's something that I've been really kind of inconsistent with for a long time, but over the past year and a half, two years, I've been really consistent with it, and I feel that that's um, been a big help for me. Um, th- those are probably my my top three ones, I would say: breath work, meditation, journaling, and some kind of movement exercise. I completely resonate with that. I agree. When I go a run, I went to run this morning so many thoughts just bubbled up to the surface as I was running and I could deal with them and action them and almost be mindful with them and talk to them as I was running. But if I wasn't, Mm -hmm. if I was just going about my everyday as I normally do, they would just be playing post-it note rain and wouldn't be categorized and organized and actioned and uh, uh, acknowledged. But when I go this run, I seem to have this clarity of thought where what wants to bubble up to the top does 
And yeah, I, I love those three, the big three for managing ADHD. Can I ask, like, what was your light bulb moment? In terms, of, uh, in, in terms of in terms of like sort of becoming aware that like something might not be a hundred right or like yeah, what made you go down that rabbit hole of figuring out your ADHD? There had always been those behaviors. I've, I was always ambiently aware of those behaviors, and I guess over time, the punishment that I gave myself for having those behaviors amounted. To a point where I was really not liking myself because I wrapped so many negative connotations around my identity because of those behaviors. And it just took, for me, I just wanted to understand uh, is this just me? Am I just built like this? And I realized it was when it was taking a toll in my work, I was put on a project management role whereby I was managing numerous milestones and deadlines and numerous work streams and had people to report to at different dates. And you know what it's like having ADHD. You can't manage so many variables at one time. Um, you're best, like I'm best to be sat down with one direct task, not multiple things at, at one time. So I was just, my, my, my work started to kind of underperform in, in, in that sense. And I, again, my identity was tied to my work. So I pride myself in being a high performer and a high achiever. So then I just thought, let, let, let me check this out. Um, so I just went through the occupational health route at work and they referred me to um, a kind of third party um, company called Genius Within. I don't know if the public can use this company, but they're really great in terms of diagnostics. And yeah, I just went down that route and got did very similar questions to you and, and, and got the report back and the new neurological assessment. And now similar to you, it allows me to explain a lo loads of my previous behaviors and I can use that now in work to give me a hall pass to not do project management and to do delivery or to do public speaking or to do something that suits my, 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 what do they call it? Spiky, spiky graph or something. I, I can't remember the phrase, but it's basically a kind of graph that shows you what you're great at and what you're not so great at. Um, mm. But yeah, um, for me, it was just, I got so fed up of um, tying my identity to these poor, quote unquote, poor behaviors um, to the point mm. I really wanted to check out whether whether it was me or, or something that was underlying. And thankfully, I can now give myself the compassion for having ADHD. How, how, did that, how did that make you feel getting that sort of official diagnosis? Because I've had a few conversations with some people recently and they've been think, thinking that they've they maybe got ADHD, but they don't know if they should go down the whole official diagnosis. So be curious to know how that, how that official diagnosis made you, made you feel. I think the diagnosis is only useful if you know how to use it properly. Some, I, I know some people that, and I'm not talking about ADHD, and, and, and they're very open about this, whereby they've been diagnosed with something. And they, they've never been diagnosed before, but they always had the underlying symptoms, but now they excuse other behaviors with that, that, um, that, diagnose, that diagnostic. Um, so I think I need to be careful not to proactively try and manage some of these behaviors by saying that's fine I don't, I don't need to change them because i've got adhd i don't need to show up on time to places because i've got adhd because i can use that as a hall pass now so i think the first thing that i recognized to myself was not to become not to consume the label too much and not to identify as a label too much because realistically i just getting that diagnosis i haven't changed i didn't change overnight once once getting that through the post i'm still the same person i was for the last 24 years so i just made sure i continued operating like that and actually, another good piece 
the advice that I got was to think about what that enables. Like, if you're neurodiverse, it means you're different, but mm-hmm. and you're, it means you're extraordinary. Extraordinary, extraordinary people get extraordinary results. So I had to learn what parts of ADHD were complementary, and that could be how, like, my attention to detail or how engrossed I can get in a, a task when I enjoy it and when I'm stimulated. So I just started to really inquire about the positives of being neurodiverse and uh yeah just, just try to try to do my best to capitalize on them yeah i love that point about uh neurodiversity is uh, an extraordinary sort of uh capacity within you and that we should harness that and not and not look at the negative side of things but simply become aware of them well, okay i have these behaviors and i do these things so I'm going to become aware of them so that when they kind of automatically happen, I can begin to like catch myself and, and sort of rectify them, you know, whilst also realizing that you've got all these extraordinary talents that you can focus and channel your energy into. Totally right. I want to ask, we spoke about the, the Carlton Hill moment where you burst into tears and realized mm. there was more to life than your current existence. And then a, a mm-hmm. preceding episode of events occurred what happened next after that jake if we go back to that part of the story so yeah what happened after that basically i was a self-employed videographer and photographer and for the past sort of two years i'd been grinding my ass off basically trying to make this business work um and i was just actually at the cusp of kind of shifting to get it full time completely by myself and i just basically brought that tower of blocks down <laughs> so to speak and just just decided that it wasn't it wasn't for me anymore and at the time i was working a job and um a friend had told me that she'd spent some time in australia and it was really easy basically to get a visa um and you could get this working holiday visa and you could go for up to two years and she was raving about it constantly and i had really no kind of previous knowledge about australia and i was just like cool man that sounds good like so i bought the visa i bought the flights um my ex who i was with at the time we had already sort of decided to go traveling together. So we sort of came to this arrangement that we were going to travel together for three months in Southeast Asia. And then I was going to leave and she was going to go back home. Um, so sort of fast forward six months of after Colton Hill, I'd quit my job, quit the business, sort of sold everything, um, basically had a backpack and gotten a, a one-way ticket to Thailand. <laughs> Um and and just and me and my ex just went for it basically and we just had an amazing time traveling Southeast Asia in three months, um and then the day came when she had to leave and that that also was just a big like oh this is really happening now I'm about to go to the other side of the world where I don't know anyone um at all and I'm going to be completely alone, um and yeah that 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 was a that was a big growth moment for sure describe your first day alone how did that feel uh it was it was terrible because we'd just been traveling in southeast asia and it was shorts and t-shirt weather and i got to australia in the middle of their winter so i got to sydney and i was like i was like fuck man like it's 
freezing cold and like it's raining and i was like what the hell like I, I thought australia was meant to be like sunshine and like babes but it was <laughs> it was it was horrible it was so gray and just it was it was absolutely yeah minging basically and yeah it was just it was a big it was just a lot of wandering around the streets kind of aimlessly basically of sydney trying to figure out what i was going to do and um I basically saw this opportunity to go to a sort of yoga retreat center and to work there and like volunteer there. And I'd kind of dabbled a little bit in meditation and yoga before I came and I'd, I'd really found the, the benefit of it. But the sort of the, the sort of roots of my old life kept bringing me back, you know, so I couldn't really get the, the, the consistency. So I headed off there and that th- that was a, a, a really life-changing experience as well. So you were given, you gave yourself the permission to just totally embody and, and immerse yourself into meditation and, and breath work. Whereas I guess if you did this back home, you would still have the one mate at the weekend that wanted to go to the pub or the, the person on social media that would lambast you for it. But when you were away, dragged and dropped into the, the middle of nowhere in a new land, you could properly reinvent yourself and give your permission give yourself the permission to to pursue meditation and mindfulness as a kind of full-time full-time hobby or or passion yeah and it was more so the environment really so what the place that i went to could be referred to as like an ashram which is um basically the sort of vedic sort of indian version of like a monastery so men sleep in men sleep in one place and women sleep in another place and it's a very sort of regimented schedule of like you'd get up at six o'clock in the morning there would be a yoga class that you could attend and then from seven o'clock till about 1 p.m you did your service so your service could be either working in the kitchen it could be cleaning the beds being in this uh, or of uh how do you say it like sort of grounds department um and once you've finished your service you had the day to do whatever you wanted basically there would be free meditation classes that you could attend there'd be lots of yoga classes that you could attend there'd be philosophy and um, classes that you could attend um and the people that lived there were all similar to me really they were seekers you know people that were looking for something different something new and that was the first time that I felt like I truly belonged in that community and I just felt like so at home and so at peace and it was this beautiful sort of grounds that was centered in the middle of a forest and it was people from all over the world and it was just uh, it was just really a magical a magical time and is this where your full breathwork journey began yeah so this is this is kind of where i started to have the time and the space to really start to practice consistently and also have the influence of other people who had been practicing for many years and who had seen these incredible benefits and also being in that environment where that was sort of praised and encouraged and so I just began to double down on that really and I doubled down on on breathwork and meditation and that place was like a time portal man you know like within a blink of an eye three months had passed and I I just I just felt completely and utterly different I like to think of it as well like 
there's almost levels to to our being and to our existence and a lot of people um are quite happy on residing on this kind of surface level of oh it's okay we'll just keep going like i'm 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 sad but we're just going we just need to keep going we need to keep going and i felt like i'd unlocked this new level of being you know and also it was important to mention at that time I'd stopped smoking cigarettes, I'd stopped drinking, I'd stopped I'd stopped doing any recreational drugs, I'd stopped doing any coffee, and I just cleansed my whole body and my whole mind. And I was just like, I'm not gonna go back to the way that I'd felt before. And breath work was at the core of that. Also at the core of that was community. It was um, it was having these amazing conversations. It was um, reading philosophy. It was movement. It was nature. Um, the, the whole, all these different aspects together just created this whole eco chamber of just of change. And that place was just a catalyst for catalyst for everything. Of course, my next question is. When you came back to Scotland, how could you integrate that lifestyle, that community, the nature, everything that made your life complete? How could you integrate and plug and play that back into your life when you moved back to Scotland? Because I can imagine that was pretty difficult to maintain. It was probably one of the most difficult things ever because basically COVID had happened and I'd had to clip my wings had clipped been clipped literally and things started to get a bit more complicated in Australia. So I decided to come back. And I came back into the middle of the pandemic. I came back to my mum's place, the place that I'd been trying to escape for like all my life. And it was so, so difficult. But the one thing that that stayed with me was everything that I learned and all the practices that I'd, I'd sort of harnessed at that time, one of them being breath work. And that, that, that really held me up. Uh, when emotionally and physically I could have just crumbled and kind of went down into a dark rabbit hole of depression. Um, those, those things that I learned and that wisdom that I gained really was like a backboard for me in order to kind of slowly get myself back to back to coming to back to Scotland and back to not normalcy and back to yeah normal life really. Jake, what a journey that you have been on and I'm really glad that we could use that to frame up my next question because I think we're we're teasing the listener of what breath work is because some people might have mm. just seen this title and think breath work like your breath surely your breath isn't anything to regulate or manage or enhance or to mm. to weaponize or to use as a tool. Can you explain what breath work is? Yeah, um, so it's the most common question I get when I tell people what I do is uh, it's just breathing, right? And in a sense, yeah, it is breathing, but breathwork is learning to regulate and change and control our breath in order to change our physiological state. So our breath is the key to our autonomic nervous system. It's the only thing that happens in our body that we can actually control. And when we start to control that, we can start to influence other parts of our autonomic autonomic nervous system, such as our heart rate, our emotions, our blood pressure, um, so that would probably be the best way to describe it is um, using our breath to change how how we feel, how we think. Um, yeah. And how does that differ from other traditional forms of meditation or relaxing techniques? 
Um, the best way to think about it, I would say, is that breathwork is a very active style of meditation. You are changing the pattern and the rhythm of your breath in order to influence a certain state of being. Whereas when we traditionally meditate and uh, it's more about, it's more of a passive kind of experience. We observe the thoughts as they enter and it's, it's, it's more just allowing everything to happen. Whereas breathwork is a very physical, visceral kind of experience where we're actually changing how our breath starts, you know. How does breathing through the nose and breathing through the mouth differ and what where should we be breathing and when? So our nose is the only organ in our body that's actually meant to, it's actually created for us to breathe through. The nose has so much function in order to breathe in, whereas the mouth has no function really at all. And breathing through your mouth is actually like, can be very detrimental to your health, um, most mentally and physically. And that's what I kind of found out because when I was growing up and stuff, I had a lot of problems such as like rhinitis and I would always have like a blocked nose and the, the wandering mind as well. Um, too. And what I came to sort of realize is when I was younger, I had a lot of braces, braces from a very early age. And that those braces had kind of propelled my mouth to be open constantly. And when you breathe in and out through your mouth, you actually begin to lose function of your nose. So your nose starts to clog up. So the, the nose is almost like a use it or lose it kind of organ. The less that we breathe through it, the more constricted and the more dilated the vessels are going to become. So a lot of people struggle to breathe in and out through their nose. And it's maybe because they're breathing in and out through their mouth. And a lot of people actually breathe in and out through their mouth at different points in the day, but aren't actually aware of it. Um, and that, that that could be a, a the core of a lot of people's sort of problems is, is mouth breathing. I mean, I think you've just diagnosed me. I had rhinitis as well, and I had to go through rhinoplasty. I had really bad sinus problems, ended up getting surgery. And perhaps wow. that was the whole entire reason. What was what what was that like getting the surgery and stuff? Liberating, absolutely liberating. Mm, because I yeah. had never, I couldn't, I yeah. couldn't breathe through my nose for many years. Mm, um, mm. I remember going into the office with tissues all the time because my nose was always running similar to yours. Mm. And it was in fact Gordon Gordon Belch who's been on the podcast, yeah. mutual friend. He said, "Well, David, mm. you're not you're not taking cocaine, are you? Because that's like a common symptom of people who are kind of." using that and i'm like no no me i've just got really bad sinuses um mm -hmm. so when they cut when they cut open my, my nose and i could breathe after after the recovery of the surgery it was like a new life i could smell again i could run effortlessly um i could sleep so much better it was incredible yeah that was one of the that was the same exact same as me man i remember being in australia and just the three months or so had passed and i was like i could breathe in and out through my nose like is the pollen in Australia different or, <laughs> or like, I just couldn't understand kind of why, why this was. And when I got back again, everything had cleared and my mum was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you know, and one, I, one book, if I can recommend one book for the listeners, if they're interested in this topic is the James Nestor book, uh, Breath, the New Science of a Lost Art. When I read that book, it basically made, it made all the things that I'd experienced through breath work it made sense you know 
it it basically it, it really just fully explained everything. So if people have got um sort of breathing queries, that that book is was a big game changer for me. In the industry of breath work, how well is um Wim Hof? How well is he perceived as his persona and techniques are they valid? Oh, a hundred percent. Like what Wim Hof has done is basically put breath work on the map. You know, like I remember he was my kind of gateway to it, and I remember doing it for the first time and just feeling like this out of body sort of ecstasy experience. Um, and it was it was absolutely incredible, you know. Um, and I think what he's doing in order to try and get the message about breath work is 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 really incredible. But the really interesting thing about breath work is like what Wim shows is just one side of the coin. There is um there is multiple sides to this coin, and there is a lot of different sort of uh, aspects to breath work. Not only is there the really fast and intense kind of people are crying and flailing their arms around kind of breath work but there is also the kind of breath work that helps us to shift our body into a state of relaxation a state of calm and it's also about educating people about breathing in and out through your nose I know it sounds really trivial and really simple but you'd be really surprised um, how much people don't know about the functions of our own breath when it's it's arguably the most important thing that happens in our bodies because without our breath we, we'd be dead and it's our quality of breath dictates the quality of our life and we've experienced that individually you know like our quality of breath was so poor because of our nose being blocked and that had a detrimental impact on our life you know the quality of our breath dictates the quality of our life i love that that's incredible i'm sure i read or listened to james nestor in a podcast or maybe i've read a quote from him but apparently like 80 percent of our energy is from our breath yep 80 percent of our energy comes from our breath it flushes out toxins and it can regulate our heart rate it can lower our blood pressure it helps a lot with our cognitive abilities too um it's a it's a hidden superpower really that everybody has and when we can start to learn how to optimize it we can really become uh, more in control of our day-to-day experience and the funny thing is most people look for the next nootropic or the next vitamin or the next pill or the next shake or the next fad diet to follow that they pay for but in fact breath work is typically it's free you don't have to pay for that superpower exactly it's free it's it's literally is the most accessible tool that we have to manage our physical mental and emotional health um it's 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 really is it's the crux of everything you know it's the bridge towards getting a deeper understanding of our emotions and a deeper understanding of ourselves um i've seen some incredible like transformations incredible releases incredible experiences of people um even and just doing this in like a really short period of time you know and and the 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 feedback and the sort of what i see in other people is just driving me further and further to get this information and and hold space for people to have these experiences how can your breath impact your athletic and physical performance so that's a really interesting um perspective as well and basically so we're all aware that we breathe in oxygen and we breathe out co2 so co2 isn't actually a waste gas 
CO2 is fundamental in improving our athletic performance. When we are running and we're, <laughs> we're gassed, it's because our body is uh, sensitive to the CO2, which means uh, CO2 is our perception to breathe. So when CO2 rises too much in the body, that's when we get gassed and that's when we start to um, struggle. But what we can do through certain breathwork techniques like breath holding um, is we can start to train our CO2 tolerance in order to become less sensitive to it, which will induce um, allow us to go further and it will allow us to get gassed less as well. Um, and again, that's a really a simple, simple techniques that anyone can anyone can take control of and use in their day to day experience. And on the contrary, or not the contrary, but complementary, how can breath work help with stress, anxiety, depression, and overall well being like that? That's probably one of the most like passionate parts of breath work that I'm really interested in because I do think we live in like a stress and anxiety fueled society and um when we slow down our breath a lot of people are over breathing which means they are releasing too much co2 and when we release too much co2 the gas exchange between co2 and oxygen can't happen as efficiently which means less blood flow to the brain and it can sort of exacerbate these feelings of anxiety and stress because when you think about when you're stressed or anxious, your breathing patterns really shallow, you know. But when we take a moment to pause and take a moment to slow down our, our breath, we can start to shift our body into a parasympathetic state of um, awareness. Uh, and that can really help these feelings of stress and anxiety. Wow. And I've heard or seen, and I might be a fan, but I've seen how the way you breathe impacts your facial structure as well. Is that correct? Yeah, 100%. Um, so basically, if we're breathing through our mouth, gravity will start to bring down our jaw and it will start to sort of impact um, our facial structure. You can kind of see it in me a little bit, you know, because in my facial structure is quite elongated and... Um, it, it sort of, yeah, it brings the whole facial structure down. And there's a theory as well that because we've sort of evolved um, now to eat less sort of dense foods, um, our jaws aren't as trained as well. So we're eating more vegetables and not eating like as much meat as we used to, et cetera, et cetera. And that's also had an impact um, on, on our facial structures uh, as well you can really you can know once you become aware of that you can start to see it like in other people too um because the tongue needs to be put on the top of the mouth in order to keep the jaw closed because if i relax my jaw it will just remain open so i need to i've trained my jaw now to sort of bring it down to, so it's closed if that makes sense I've seen pictures and videos and TikToks of people, I think it's called like the mewing technique, I might be wrong, yep, where they put, deliberately put their tongue to the top of their mouth so it gives them this really defined mm. model type mm -hmm. look. And I started mm -hmm. practicing the mirror, I looked to the side and put the, my tongue to the roof of my mouth and you could see my double chin at the time mm. elevating and leaving. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to blame my, my poor breath work for the fact that I've got a fat round face. Jake, hope you don't mind. Uh, 
No, that, but that's where it should be, the tongue, you know, the tongue the tongue should rest right on the top of the mouth because then it starts to bring the, the, the bottom jaw forward and it almost like acts as like a natural lock um, and it just brings everything nice and close together. Um, so it, sh- it should be, the tongue should be at the top of the mouth. But I think with the mewing technique, I may be wrong, but they, they encourage to hold it with like tension, but you can just do it quite naturally. Um, and it, it doesn't have that same kind of uh, really hard feeling in the face. Can bre- breath work be dangerous for someone? Like any other practice, like if you take vitamins or you take, some people can have an allergic reaction to certain other mm-hmm. Um, biohacking techniques but what about breath work can, can it be bad for someone a hundred percent yeah because people with stress anxiety people who have suffered trauma and people who have gone through some difficult things in their life there is a element of breath work called transformational style breath work similar to Wim Hof where you <laughs> you huff and you puff and you induce these feelings of sort of ecstasy with inside you for someone that's gone through some serious trauma that is not the way that they should be breathing because when they go into that state that might bring back that feeling of trauma and they might like exacerbate that those issues and um, some people uh, have hypertension sorry i was saying i watched this video of this really muscly lad lad in an f45 gym and it was a it must have been a breath work session that was going on and he was screaming literally this big muscular 200 pound guy 250 pound guy just screaming his heart out after doing breath work and i thought it was just a clickbait viral video and then i looked in the comments and everyone was giving him sympathy because they had experienced something similar before and it blew my mind the power of breath it really really did yeah, yeah, I've seen also similar style of uh, similar things like that happen. I've seen people process trauma that they've been holding on to for like 20, 25 years. Um, I've seen, yeah, grown men who have never cried before and fits of tears. Um, it's incredible, it's incredible, but it has to be approached with caution. It has to be approached with caution because when you get into this transformational style of breath work, um, it is not suitable for everyone. Not everyone can or should be moved into that state of their nervous system. A lot of people need to go on the other side and go slower and calmer in order to sort of soothe their nervous system because if they've experienced trauma or experienced uh, some really tough things in their life, their nervous system already might be on edge. And when you breathe in that sort of Wim Hof-esque kind of style of way, it, it, it might exacerbate the the, the the underlying issue. Oh wow, that's stark, mate. And I, I know you're not a scientist per background, but surely this stuff is not just a fad. Surely it's, it can be scientifically proven and, and back. It, it, yeah, a hundred percent. As as the science is catching up, like books like the the science of uh, the James Nestor book. Um, there's an organization called Oxygen Advantage who are committed to say, sharing uh, science-backed protocols um, and they do a lot of research, they do a lot of academic papers. Um, yeah, but the, the thing that I always say to people is like with breathwork is like experiencing it, is believing it. Like I could sit and talk about this all day long, you know, but you won't really understand until until you experience it. Can we do a live immersive experience for the listener? Yeah, man, I was going to suggest that. So I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. 
what's the shortest time period that we could give this to the listener in? Could we do like a quick espresso breath, something like that? We could do a quick espresso breath, man. We could do two, three minutes. Let's go for it. Walk me through it. Two, three minutes. So um, just a little caveat, just before we begin, if you're driving or operating any heavy machinery, um, this would not be suitable for you to do right now. But if you're just listening in a safe and quiet environment, I'll invite you now just to find a chair. And in that chair, I'm just sitting upright. And then when you feel you're ready, you can just begin to close down the eyes. And you just start to feel the weight of the body against the chair. What we're going to do is something really simple and really easy. We're going to do some cyclical sighing. So I'm just going to explain this and I would like you just to continue to listen to my voice. We're going to be taking deep, slow inhales through the nose and we're going to be sighing through the mouth. There's not going to be a pause or a stop, just one after the other. So with me, take a big deep inhale through the nose and sigh, and again, deep inhale, and sigh, and again, deep inhale, and sigh, keep going, deep inhale, and sigh, keep going, deep inhale, Inside. Just go at your own pace here. Inhale after exhale. With each inhale, you feel the body expand, and with each exhale, you feel the body soften. Breathing in through the nose. Letting go through the mouth. Keep breathing, just a couple more breaths. Coming up for your last inhale, breathing all the way in. And then sighing and holding the breath here now at the bottom. So breathing all the way out and behold for 10, 9, 8, Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Deep inhale through the nose. Squeeze, create an upward pressure towards the head as we hold for ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Let it all go. And just take a moment now, just to become aware of what's happening inside the body. Maybe you start to feel your heart rate's elevated. Maybe you start to feel the blood flowing through the body. Just take a moment just to soak in this feeling. Now with that, we're going to take one last sigh, so deep inhale. 
And then when you're ready, you can just slowly begin to open the eyes. That was a really short espresso breath. Um, cyclical sighing is a really powerful way to um, offshoot any stress. Um, sighing is an automatic response that happens in the body, but when we can we can actually start to take control of that. So when we when we sigh, it's because our body's telling us it needs to let go of something. But when we start to reverse that and start to take control, we can let go of things at our own will rather than waiting for our body to automatically um, re release that. So you're telling me the sigh is not just your way to signal to someone else that you're fed up with them. It's actually a physiological response. It's a physiological response, man. And I am determined to make people sigh more and for it not to be this sort of <laughs> sign of like rudeness or sign of... I'm, I'm annoyed at you, you know, like actually like use it, you know, it's, it's a gift that we can just like, it feels amazing as well, you know, like it feels good to sigh, like, like it's, it's, it's there for us to use. Mate, you're going to regret telling me this. I'm going to go into work and sigh at everybody and just say, my breathwork tutor, Jake, he told me to do this. It's 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 not spread it amongst the office, man. Spread it amongst the office. You know, if anybody's stressed out, just take a sigh, man. Just take a sigh. Not after lunch. After we've had some tuna or garlic, though, we don't want that happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that would be nasty. That would be nasty. But mate, honestly, I feel instantly better for that, and I think it's like watching your content and and, and listening to people like James Nestor and Wim Hof. I really want to embody it and, and, and embed it into my daily routine. How can someone start incorporating breathwork into their self-care routine? Just start small. So just start a couple minutes whenever you feel some emotions rising or instead of scrolling off your phone, just again, closing the eyes. You can even keep the eyes open and just taking some nice, soft, gentle breaths in and out through the nose and actually becoming aware of each breath. It's the awareness of the breath that can really have incredible benefits throughout our life because when we become aware of the breath, we start to become aware of our thoughts. We start to become aware of our emotions. So simply just starting with awareness. And the interesting thing about awareness is you might be mouth breathing and you might not realize it, but when you just start with simply becoming aware of the breath, then you can start to rectify and change these change these breathing habits that might have been ingrained in the in the body for a long time. So, starting small and starting with awareness is is the best way to make breath work a a part of your daily experience. If you have totally sold someone on the benefits of breath work and they want to start, what resources do you think are the best places to look to, to kind of start their journey? Besides, obviously, your stuff, Insight Timer. I'll link all that stuff below. But besides your stuff specifically, where else can people look for some uh, beginners resources? So for some beginners resources, I really recommend my teacher, a man called Michael Berker, who runs an organization called Yoga Lap. And he is about um, educating people on breathwork and these ancient techniques. The interesting thing about breathwork is that it's been, do been done for thousands of years. 
it's been done by these ancient cultures in India and then um, in these Buddhist cultures. And everything that you see today with Wim Hof and all these modern styles of breathwork is just a twist on an ancient classic. So he does a really great job of educating people of uh, the sort of background of, of breathwork. So I really recommend him. I also recommend um, the Oxygen Advantage. So for anybody who's having any troubles with their breathing, e.g. rhinitis or asthma or anything that me and David have talked about, the Oxygen Advantage is about functional breathing. So learning about the, the science of breath, and it's about retraining the brain to breathe in a more efficient way. If you start with those two, um, that will give you a really well-rounded view of breath work. Awesome, mate. Can I ask another question that I'm curious about? What yes. is the yawn? What's the yawn and what's that responsible for? The Do you mean just like of generally yawning? Yeah, just generally. Because that, that, that's a kind of exhalation of air, isn't it? Ex- yeah, again, that's just another stre- another way that the body's releasing stress, you know. Uh, it's another way of the body automatically releasing stress is through yawning. And once you start to get into breath work, you can actually start to trigger the yawn and you can actually start to take control of the yawn, similar to you uh, taking control of the sigh. Uh, and again, it's just another way for the body to release stress, release um, feelings of tension, you know, because our body takes in all the tension and when we yawn or when we sigh, that's our body just, you know, letting it, it's, it's built up too much for our body, you know. So if you're yawning and sighing um, a lot, then that, that can actually be an issue and um, that something's wrong um, with your breathing. Um, so if you've been sighing or yawning a lot, then um, there is an issue that you might be uh, actually over breathing. Um, so it's, it might be worth checking in on that. I want to end up on a really random question that you definitely didn't expect me to ask. How did David Blaine hold his breath for 17 minutes? Is that true? Did he actually do that? Mm. Or is it like a stage prank, do you think? Or is that, is that physically possible? Can you train your breath to do something like that? You can train your breath. You can you can train your breath to uh, to hold your breath for a long time. Whether it was seventeen minutes or not, I'm not sure. But he, there is a lot of breathing techniques that free divers use um, as well. Uh, and again, it's going back to really slowing down the breath because you can get to a point where you can be taking like one inhale like a minute you know, and just really slowing everything right down. Um, you can hold your breath for a long period of time once you start to uh, slow everything back down because when we talked about a- earlier, the CO2 is our main stimulus to breathe. When we train our body to be uh, less sensitive to that, that will uh, increase our breath hold time. So what David Blaine has done is uh, he, he's trained his CO2 tolerance um, in order to uh, get to those um, breath hold times. And you kind of see it as well in the new Avatar movie. I don't know if you've seen the new Avatar movie, but it's all based about underwater and stuff like that. And there's a scene where they go through a breathwork practice in order to sort of increase the, the, the new people to the sea's breath hold time. Um, so... It's it's been it's it's yeah it's been used in free diving as well. Jake, me, I've loved this conversation. It's just a realm that's so undiscovered on the podcast. It's still 
so undiscovered just in the wider domain. And I'm really glad that you've taken the time to use your own story, your own insight, your own knowledge to just demystify the whole landscape and just come at it with such a vulnerable style uh, and then share your story. Um, if the listeners want to um, embark on their journey and they want to do it specifically with you because they've loved your story, how can people get in touch with you, mate? Um, yeah, uh, they can just get in touch with me. Instagram is um, one of the most popular platforms and that's just the everyday breath. And when you go into my Instagram account, you'll see um, a bunch of resources and information that can help you sort of develop a breathwork practice. Um, so reach out to me on Instagram um, at the everyday breath. Jake, this has been so much fun. Thanks for coming on this Friday night. Thank you, David. Really grateful for you. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing. So thank you. Another day, another podcast. Thank you for sticking around to the end. It really means the world. Let me know what you think of this episode. You can find me on at Development by David. And it would honestly make my everyday. If you could share this on a group chat, a works teams page or anything like that. People like you really allow people like you to listen to this podcast. So thank you so much if you can do that. And remember, this podcast is sponsored by Gordon and Rory over at Vibe, the meal replacement shake company. You just code DMAC for 15% off. Thank you again for sticking around for another amazing episode. Until the next. <laughs>